0: Man, I love this church. Good night. What a great experience this is. You know, you can feel it when you walk in. I have two friends with me, two of my best buddies with me tonight. They look like uh, bodyguards. They're not bodyguards, right? I, can't, I couldn't afford these two guys, but they're, they're my best friends. And uh, they came here to join us. We walked in and we turned around and said, You can feel it in here, can't you? And um, man, what a beautiful worship experience. I'll tell you what, if the preaching is as good as the music, on, on Sunday, this, this, place, this place is a dynamic place. Good night. <laughs> Well, State, Pastor Stacy, you're easy to fall in love with, man. I can see why these, why these people love you. And uh, you know what? I've run into some of my old friends here, people that I know and people that I love. And I'm just thankful to be able to reunite with you again. And I tell you what, if I wasn't a pastor over in, on the other side of town, I would make the drive. I would make the drive to come over here. You got a good, you have a good watering hole here. This is a great watering hole. And you know, it's hard to find a good place like that, isn't it? It's hard to find a good church where the spirit is alive. You can sense the spirit. You know, you go into some churches. Yeah. You can feel it when you walk in, can't you? And you go into some churches and, and you just feel that, man, this is dead. This is going to be really, really tough tonight. But uh, you walk in places like this and you feel, man, the, the spirit is alive. Kind of reminds me of this story I heard of this guy who had been stranded on this deserted island and he'd been there for like 10 or 15 years and he was the only one there There there's no other human being on that island so he just kind of made the best of it and he made his own little civilization there he built himself a little village well finally another group came along they just happened to stumble on that island and they found this uh, poor old guy he was happy as he could be and uh, they were amazed to see this civilization that he had developed a little village that he had developed and had an outdoor cafe there by the water you know where he used to um, enjoy the evenings, and he had built a little uh, fallout shelter for the typhoon season. And he had a beautiful home there, and he ha- it was like a triple decker home there in this big tree there on the island. and And uh, they looked over there, and they they were just amazed at what this guy had done. And they looked over there, and there was this building and it had a steeple, uh, a steeple with a cross on the top of it. And they said, "Well, I guess that's your church." He said, "Yeah, that's where I that's where I go to church." And they looked over there, and there was one that was kind of overgrown, and it had a steeple and a cross on it too. And it looked kind of abandoned. And they said, well, if that's your church, then what is that? And he said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. That church is dead. That church is dead. And I think a lot of people are having to do that same thing these days, aren't they? Because there are a lot of churches that are in crisis. They're in trouble today. But I tell you what, I, I love seeing the spirit of life here in this place. I sense him. I, and uh, we have that in common as a, a, a body of believers. and I, I, I'm thrilled, humbled to be able to be here. Pastor, thank you for inviting me to be here, and I've looked forward to this. But let's open in a word of prayer as we get started and we open God's Word. We're going to go through several scriptures together, and hopefully they'll be able to follow me in the back, but I'll give you a thumbs up if you, if you do a good job of that, okay? Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you here tonight on this rainy night, and I, I Lord, I, I love, I love what we feel here. We sense your presence and your nearness And Lord, we sense those who are striving to be close to you and striving to worship you and to love you. And I love the music, Lord, and I know that it pleases you. And Father, as we open your word today and as I deliver this message, I pray that it would fall on receptive ears. We bind the enemy from this place tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. We give full agreement to whatever it is you want to do here in this place. I pray that you would just use me and that you would open the hearts and the minds of your people as well. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a book uh, not long ago. It was um, by Andy Andrews. And the book was entitled, How Do You Kill 11 Million People? How Do You Kill 11 Million People? And he talks about the rise of Adolf Hitler to power and the devastating effect he had had on 11 million people died as a result of uh, Adolf Hitler being in power. Five million of those were were Jews. And he asked this question. He says, how did 11 million people allow themselves to be killed? Why from month after month, year after year, did, did millions of intelligent human beings guarded by relatively few Nazi soldiers willingly load their families into tens of thousands of cattle cars to be transported by rail to death camps scattered throughout Europe? How can a condemned group of people headed for a gas chamber be compelled to act in such a docile manner. And he answers the question simply by saying, you lie to them. How do you get them to do what you want them to do? Well, you lie to them. And Adolf Hitler, one of his his, uh, primary philosophies was, the bigger the lie, the easier it is for them to believe it. And he says, Andy Andy Andrews says, uh, "An, an an, an intimate web of lies delivered in stages was designed to ensure their cooperation. So first of all, it started off that they went to the Jewish people and they strung barbed wire around the neighborhoods. And they said, listen, this is just, this a necessity of war. We're here to protect you as long as you cooperate. And they told the Jewish leaders, as long as you cooperate and you stay within this fence, then no harm will come to you whatsoever. It's just something that's necessary at this point. Adolf Eichmann, known as the master would appear before gatherings in the ghetto with no more than 30 soldiers, 30 rifles with him, with all these people around him, and he would address the crowd saying, quote, the Russians are advancing. We're here to protect you. We only want what's best for you. We'll take you to find places where your wives can stay at home. Your children will be educated. It'll only be for a short journey. So please keep your families together and load quickly. And so the fathers gathered their children together with their suitcases and they very cooperatively loaded into these cattle cars. Hundreds of people in each of these cattle cars were stuffed in there. The doors were quickly shut, the padlock clicked, and it was over for them. The end was there. And very rarely did that train ever stop until it came through the gates of Auschwitz. And so the people were herded into those cattle cars by lying to them. Lies were told and they moved according to the lies that were told to them. Let me tell you another tragic story that relates so, so, so um, clearly to this, to this um, tragedy that had taken place at least in at least one German town. The railroad tracks ran behind a church. And one of the eyewitnesses, one of the members of that congregation wrote in his diary, he said, we heard stories of what was happening to the jews but we tried to distance ourselves from it because we felt what could anyone do to stop it each sunday morning we'd hear the train whistle blowing in the distance then the wheels coming over the tracks we became disturbed when we heard cries coming from the train as it passed by we realized that it was carrying jews like cattle in the cars week after week the whistle would blow we dreaded to hear the sounds of those wheels Because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming. And when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly. And soon we heard them no more. Years have passed and no one ever talks about it now. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. in that sad? The church did nothing. This tragedy was taking place. This torment, this horrible thing was taking place to the Jewish people. People were being put to death. The church knew about it and they did absolutely nothing. They just sang louder. They sang louder so they wouldn't have to hear the screams of those who were around them. They put their fingers in their ears so that they could go on and feel good about their lives without hearing of the tragedy that was taking place. You know, it's sad for me to say, But I believe that that's the posture of many of our churches in America today. We're gathering in our safe, holy huddles, grazing in the safety of our pastures. We're singing our songs at the top of our lungs with our fingers in our ears. Listen, friend, there is a train coming down the track. The whistle is blowing and it's bringing trouble. First John chapter four, verse three, it says, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard is coming. And even now is already in the world. See the spirit of antichrist is, is already in the world. He's mounting his forces. He's putting his team together. History is rushing towards the end. And listen for the church of today, it cannot be business as usual any longer. Never again will it be as it has always been in the past. We will never be able to go back and capture those days because our world is on fire. There's trauma taking place in our world today. And there is a war going on. There's a war going on spiritually, a spiritual warfare that is taking place. And there is a physical warfare that is taking place. The enemy is within The enemy is here in America today. He is within and he's wreaking havoc. He's causing problems, terrible problems in America. And we see that deterioration going on. There is a war going on in our country. There is a war going on in our churches today. And you're in it, whether you like it or not. Well, there's coming a person in the days ahead that people will believe to be the Messiah. He will be a deceiver. His language will be that of a liar. He'll be the antichrist. And even Israel will sign a peace treaty with him. They'll believe him. Many of them will believe that he is actually the Messiah, but his language will be that of a liar's language. And we can see how that language is being taught and accepted in our culture today. Here's the fact. If, if I can convince you that the truth is a lie and the lie is a truth, then I can manipulate and I can control your future. And I believe that's exactly what is happening in our country today. We're being loaded into those cattle cars without any resistance whatsoever. Our our freedoms are being stripped away. Our religious liberties are being stripped away. The moral fiber of our nation today is being stripped away. And it's like the frog in the kettle. We're just adjusting as the church as Christians, as the American people, we're just adjusting to the temperature of the water without any resistance whatsoever. Second John, verse 7, says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So what does this train look like that's coming down the tracks with the whistle blowing? What is the trouble that is coming our way? Well, first of all, it looks like a weakening America. Just a few years ago, when studying biblical prophecy and preaching series on biblical prophecy, one thing I couldn't imagine, I couldn't understand was how in the world is it that America is not listed as one of the superpowers in the end times? I mean, how could that possibly be? The greatest nation in the world, but I can see it now. I can see how this is taking place. America is in Crisis, and it's much more than an economic crisis. I would say, first of all, it's a leadership crisis. It's a crisis of integrity. It's a crisis of patriotism. It's a crisis of morality. It's crisis of morality. It's a crisis of uh, a good common sense. It's a crisis of wisdom. It's a crisis crisis of backbone. It's a crisis of courage. And I want to say, first of all, that I have a deep appreciation for those. leaders of our city and our county and our state and our nation who have the backbone to stand for that which they know is true i have a great appreciation for those who who speak and i can believe what they say but i want to say on your behalf and mine i resent being lied to i resent the lies that are being told in our world today and the the expectation for us to be able to migrate along with those those lies. I appreciate those who speak words that I can believe, but I resent the leaders who would consistently speak a language of lies, and that is epidemic in our world today. It is epidemic in our culture today. It's epidemic in America today. And if we will believe and accept those who lie, then our future is manipulated and controlled. Listen, those who would give sound, conservative leadership in our city, our county, Our state and our nation need to be voted into office. They need to be voted in. You know, in the last election, only 50% of evangelical Christians in America, only 50% were even registered to vote. Only 50% of those bothered to go to the polls. Those who were registered to vote went to the polls. Only 25% of evangelicals of voting age... Voted in the last presidential election. Listen, we could have taken that by storm. We could have put the right people in, in, in office. God could have used us to have a totally different story in in for America's future. But I, I actually heard, I actually heard of pastors who, um, in the last presidential election, who encouraged their people not to vote because they would either have to vote for a Mormon or one that was highly suspected to be a Muslim. That's absurd. It's backwards. You know, so often when we go to vote, it's not so much who we're voting for as sometimes who we're voting against. And obviously, the lies are being told to the American people. It doesn't seem to matter. Uh, It's accepted. It's ignored. There seem to be no consequences when lies are told to the American people. But it matters to me. It matters to me. And I resent being lied to. I'm angry to see the truth being twisted so that that which is true is said to be false. That which is false is said to be true. That which is right is said to be wrong. That which is wrong is said to be right. In Proverbs chapter 29 verse 2, it says, When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. And then in Proverbs 29, verse 12, it says, if a ruler honors liars, all of his advisors will be wicked. You know, the danger for America is not a, a politician with ill intent or even a group of politicians with ill intent. The most dangerous thing for any, that any nation faces is a people who are capable of trusting the leadership of those who would lie to them. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, then secondly, I would say that it's a church crisis. There's a tidal wave of darkness coming at our world today. There's a tidal wave of evil, of immorality, of darkness that's crashing down upon America today. And if you think about it, the only ones pushing back are churches like this. People like this. People who are committed to the to those things that are right. The standard of God, those who are holding the flag in the midst of the current, we're the only ones that are pushing God. And I want to thank God for pastors like pastor Stacy, who will stand up and and say that, which he knows to be true, who has the backbone to speak out those things that they know to be true. I want to thank God for, for, for churches Like this one who are locked onto a kingdom agenda, who understand the urgency of the time and are ignited by the power and the presence of the Holy spirit. I want to thank God for people like you who will get behind their church, will invest their time and their talents and their resources, supporting and supplying the energies of that church so that she can have an effect in this world in which we're living today. This decaying society that we're living in today. But obviously those numbers are dropping rapidly. Did you know that every day statistics show that every day 10 churches in America close their doors? So today 10 closed their doors. Southern Seminary did a survey and they are projecting that this year, 1000 Southern Baptist churches in America will close their doors this year. They project that 3000 from other denominations will close their doors. So that's 4,000 churches in America closing their doors every year. And I understand that 9,000 pastors are dropping out of the ministry every year. It's said that 150,000 people stop going to church every week. 50% of our young people in Baptist churches don't believe that Jesus is God We find that pastors are being intimidated by the IRS, scared to death of losing their tax-exempt status. They're being told what they can and they can't say. The ACLU are attempting to intimidate our pastors. There are those who want to file lawsuits for preaching Romans chapter one saying that it is a hate language today. There are freedom from religion organizations that are trying to tell our pastors standing in the pulpits of God fearing churches, God honoring churches. And they're trying to tell us what we can and we can't say. Nobody should be able to tell God's servants Preaching the Word of God, what they can and they can't say. There is a crisis taking place in America. There is a crisis taking place in our churches today. And, you know, if a pastor speaks out on political issues that are taking place in America, there are always those out there that want to snap and they believe that we should just sing. A little louder, louder at the top of our lungs and put our fingers in our ears. And then thirdly, I would say it's a moral crisis and I wish I had, I could do a series on this. I wish I had time to talk about the deterioration of the family. How the family union is a unit where there 's a man and a woman committed to each other for a lifetime are rearing their children as the next generation of godly leaders that is a rarity in our society today. I wish I had time to talk about absentee parents who have become irresponsible and distracted on the priority of rearing their children as the next generation leaders. I wish I had time to talk about this militant, homosexual agenda that is being shoved down our throats, this same-sex marriage attempting to redefine God's institution, God's design for the family, a man and a woman committed to each other for a lifetime. And I'll tell you something, as the church, seeing that gay flag on our courthouse downstairs ought to be fuel on the fire as far as our involvement in what is taking place in the world today. That we take our fingers out of our ears, we get our face out of the sand, and we stand up for that which we know is true. We speak up for that which we know is true. I wish I had time to talk about the um, couples living together outside of marriage, which has become epidemic in our society today. I wish I had time to talk about about the uh, violation of the marriage vows as affairs are running rampant, even in the church today. I wish I had time to talk about the sexual abuse that many of our children and women are experiencing, even in the churches today. I wish I had time to talk about the human trafficking that we are experiencing, even in America. Atlanta, Georgia is the hub of international human trafficking today. But I want to spend our time, the rest of our time, talking about another characteristic, an alarming characteristic of this train coming down the track, blowing its horn, bringing trouble to us. And that is a great crisis that we're facing throughout the world and here in America. And that is the rise of Islam and Christian persecution. Islam is on the rise in the world, but it's here in America too. Did you know that 60,000 Americans convert to Islam every year? 80% of Christian converts to Islam were raised in Christian homes and went to churches like this. In New York City alone, there are over 700,000 Muslims. Since 1973, Saudi Arabia has spent $78 billion to spread Islam in America. Not millions. 78 billion dollars to intentionally spread islam in america 27 percent of islamic com- converts uh, come from our american universities you know it's almost like it's almost like america is cowering with tolerance to the demands of islam in this nation and the intimidation of islam in this nation and I think, I believe that uh, the political correctness that has been inflicted on our society is going to absolutely destroy this country. In Syria, fighters from 50 different countries are being trained for jihad. There are 62 training camps here in the United States. For Al-Qaeda, Hamas, the Muslim Brotherhood, and Islamic Jihad. There are 3,000 Islamic mosques here in America. There are 1.7 billion Muslims in the world today. There are 2 billion who call themselves Christians in the world today, but most of those are not evangelicals. Most of those are not born again. So it won't be long until there are more followers of Islam than there are Christians. A priority ambition of ISIS that we see as we see so much on the news today, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria is to create a confederacy of Muslim nations called the Caliphate. And their aim is to be a threat to all nations taking one border after the other, erasing the colonial borders and being a a significant threat to the United States. Even Turkey now has changed their alignment from, from uh, from the west to the east. ISIS is beginning... Is, is ISIS is the beginning of something. So I'm going to tell you, Jesus is coming back soon. And I, I love, I love that song. I, I love, I, I love that song that the choir just sang. And I try to keep my composure rather than going into the emotion of it, because I'm telling you, he's coming back soon and I'm looking forward to it. And I think it could be just any minute. You see all the, all the, all the players are on the stage. I mean, all the prophecies are fulfilled for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next event is the rapture of the church. Amen. In the Wall Street Journal today, I wish I had I had an opportunity to bring this article to you, but I was reading in this article that now Russia and China are partnering with each other. They're either even going to share a common cur- currency for a period of time because of the economic sanctions that have been leveled against um, uh, Russia because of the crisis. Uh, in the Ukraine. Now, China, there's Gog and Magog. I mean, there it is. The Bible coming to life. I saw in that same, in, uh, in the Wall Street Journal today as well, how the Catholic Church is relaxing their stance on the homosexual lifestyle. There's the apostasy of the church. It's rolling right out in front of us. Man, we as Christians have to open our eyes because Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, We don't know the day or the hour, but we do know the season. The smell is in the air. He says, when you see these things come to pass, you fools, why do you not discern that my coming is here? Man, he's coming back. He's coming back, which changes the complexion, the motivation, the programming. The words, the intention, the passion of the church today, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. We have to get our people ready. We have to prepare the bride, prepare the bride for the coming of the bridegroom. Joel chapter two, verse one says, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand. I believe that we are in the shadow of those last times Which means that the forces of the Antichrist are being prepared. That's why I say it's never going to be again like it once was. It'll never again be like it once was. We as the church cannot go about and do business as usual any longer. There has to be an intensity. There has to be a passion. There has to be a fire. In the end times, there will be an opposition towards Christ and his people. Such as is unprecedented as has never been seen before. More Christians have been martyred in the last 10 years than, than in all of history combined. I would think that that even, that even is honed down to the last five years. What we see taking place in the Near East, in the Middle East, we see Christians who are being beheaded, their lives being taken uh, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they won't denounce their faith in Christ. They won't convert. I hear stories, I read stories about Christian people who are, who are, um, who refuse to denounce their faith in Jesus Christ. And so they have to watch their daughters being taken away and sold for $10 a head as sex slaves because they refuse to denounce their faith. They see their little children beheaded with a small knife while they're still alive because they refuse to denounce their faith. How many of us would be able to stand against that kind of pressure? If you saw your 15-year-old daughter being taken away because you refused to denounce Jesus Christ and convert to Islam, being taken away and sold as a sex slave, never to be seen again. To see your five-year-old boy being beheaded with a small knife because of the fact that you refuse to denounce your faith. I hear stories of little children whose faith is so strong, so audacious that even little children refuse to denounce their faith, the faith in the Jesus that they love and trust and therefore their lives are taken because of their stance. Man, how many of us have that kind of faith? How many of us would take that kind of bold stance? As Jesus told us of the signs of his coming in the end of the age, he said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 10, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away, and I suspect, I, I underline that because I suspect that that will be many sitting in our churches, churches like this one. That when persecution comes, they turn away from the faith because their faith isn't strong enough to stand in the midst of such a treacherous persecution. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Christians in Iraq and Syria are being marked um, by ISIS with the Arabic letter N, which is Nun. It's pronounced Nun. And their homes are being marked with this, like the Jews were marked with the Star of David. Their homes are being marked. Their businesses are being marked. In fact, I brought, uh, I want want to show you what this looks like, because you're probably going to see some folks wearing this. Last, uh, couple Sundays ago, that's the letter N. And what it means in Arabic, the reason they're marking them with the letter N, it means Nazarene, or follower of the Nazarene, or Christian. So they're marking the Christians with this mark. We gave, um, in fact, I, I ordered one for every person that came to our church a couple of weeks ago. And when they came in, we handed these out to them. And it says on the back, we stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters, Matthew 5, 10. They were going out to eat after church. All these, The whole congregation had these black T-shirts on, identifying, bringing awareness to those who are being persecuted in the Near East. And, um, and as they went out to eat and went to the restaurants, they got some... They got some significant looks, the people wondering what in the world that was. And they had an opportunity to bring awareness and to identify with those who are being persecuted um, in in the Near East because of their faith. Our Christian brothers and sisters are being driven from their homes, killed. These These are our brothers and sisters. These are people like us they're being driven from their homes their businesses killed tortured raped sold kidnapped buried alive and beheaded and god have mercy on the church in america if we continue to turn up the music with our fingers in our ears singing louder and louder to deafen our ears to the cries for help and hope by those who are giving their lives for the cause of Christ in these treacherous times as we hear the cries of those in the train as it's passing by. God have mercy on us. Bible talks about the beheading that will occur during the tribulation. Now, I don't know where, what Pastor Stacy teaches you, but I'm a pre-trib guy. I believe we're getting, we're getting out of here. The scripture doesn't say that we're destined for a day of wrath, and I believe that in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment when we least expect it, I'm expecting it now so I know it can't happen right now. But in a moment when we least expect it, we're going to be taken off of this earth. And we're going to leave this thing behind glory, man. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We've not been destined for a day of wrath. But I, I do believe that we're not going to go through the tribulation, but it sure looks like we're in the shadow of it. As there's an explosion of this beheading, an explosion of this demonic activity in the name of a religion. So you ask, well, Pastor James, give me some suggestions. What do I do? I mean, where do I start? Here's where you start. Get, get your life right. Get it right. Straighten up. Walk away from the compromise of the world. And you be what God wants you to be in these desperate times in which you're living today. It's no accident that you are here at this point in the history of mankind on God's timetable he saved his best athletes for such a time as this straighten up your life get your life right Be the men and women that God wants you to be. This is no time for us to be wishy-washy in our faith. This is no time for us to be compromised as a church. This is no time for us as Christian people to be intimidated, curling up in the corner, intimidated by the opposition. The Bible says that God has not given his people a spirit of timidity and fear, but a a spirit of power and of a sound mind. We're on the winning side. We know who's in charge and we know that Jesus Christ is in control. So get your life right and watch what happens. You remember what happened to Peter when he, um, after the Holy Spirit came upon his life and he got his relationship with Jesus right before the crucifixion, he was a denier. But then when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was a, he was a defier. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were being told by the religious leaders, who were the the political leaders as well, the Sanhedrin, they were being told, shut your mouth. You can't talk about Jesus. They were being told the same thing that you are being told today. That is, you can't talk about Jesus. You can't pray before a, a football game. You can't pray in the military. You can't wear that cross. You can't carry that Bible. You can't have your Christian clubs. Quit talking about Jesus. Quit talking about Christianity. It's against the law. Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they said, now let me get this right. You're going to tell me what I can and I can't say. That's absolutely ridiculous. And he says in Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, Peter and John replied, listen, you judge for yourself whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God. But we cannot help but say the things which we have seen and heard. That needs to be the audacity of Christians today. Where we stand bold in love, we're standing bold for the cause of Christ, holding that flag in the midst of a rushing current. So start by getting your relationship with Christ right tonight. And then watch what happens. Watch what he does through your life. And then I would say secondly, get out there and Vote. You exercise your God-given responsibility and right as an American and vote. You can make a difference. I think you know. Hopefully, you know that this is perhaps one of the most critical elections that is upcoming that we could possibly possibly have. And I have said that every election I think, and it gets worse. Well, listen. We have. As, as I was with a group of pastors yesterday. And we were talking about a strategy. How do we get our people out to vote? how do we help them to understand those who stand for our biblical values? How do we get our people out to vote? And one politician sitting there said 2000 votes would win an election here in the state for our state representatives, 2000 votes. And we thought, well, Goodness gracious, you should put this church in our church, one or two other churches together, people of voting age. We could do that. Why don't we do that? Why don't we go and put those conservative Bible-believing people into office because they can make a difference? This is absolutely critical. The representatives that we put into the house, North Carolina house this year, it is absolutely critical that the right people be put in. So So get out and vote, speak up, write your congressmen, write your senators, call them on the phone, let your voice be heard. And remember that it's not your opinion that matters, but it's the word of God that matters on these issues. And then stay informed. I would say stay informed and offer your support. Watch, watch the news, read the paper, know what's going on in the world. Make some noise to create an awareness for the, of, of, for, on behalf of those who are being persecuted in your realm of influence, on your platform. The, your pastor is using his platform. I'm using my platform. We're getting the word out. Now you use yours. You're the ones who make a difference. You're the ones who affect the future of our nation, the elections that that take place. You, use your platform. Give your financial support to those who are trying to help. We took up an offering two, 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 two weeks ago to Heart for Lebanon who are trying to feed these refugees that are coming, coming into Lebanon over the border who are fleeing from this persecution that has taken place. Our people gave generously in an offering in order to be able to do something To be able to give some kind of support to those who are trying to help. And then put pressure on Washington to step up and help these people. I remember speaking with a Vietnamese pastor of an underground church in Vietnam. And he was telling me the persecution that they were experiencing. This was several years ago when President Bush was in office. And he was saying to me that the level, the intensity of persecution that they experience is in direct correlation to the amount of pressure that the American president puts on their government. If the president of the United States understands that there's persecution taking place in a nation, he has a direct effect. So much more could be done for those who are suffering so. Then I would say, get involved in your church. Get in there and get your hands dirty. Don't just come and sing your favorite songs. Get in there and get your hands dirty. Invest Your God given gifts, talents, abilities, and resources into something that is going to outlast you. Use your financial churches to enable the effectiveness of this church. I just mentioned to you a minute ago that, a few minutes ago, that 4,000 churches in America are closing their doors because they're dying. This one's alive. This one is alive. So give her what she needs. Some of you don't give anything. Some of you don't even tithe. That's, that's the ground floor. That's where we start. I mean, that money isn't even yours. I hear Christians say, well, God is just prospering me. He's just blessing me. But they give nothing to the church. They don't tithe. Yeah, they're being, they're being prosperous with stolen money. We use our money, the resources, the prosperity that God gives us to build our own kingdom rather than his kingdom. What does he think about that? What do you think God thinks about that? Doggone it if there's a church like this one. That is fired up, full of the Holy Spirit. You have great preaching, great music, great worship. The people are filled with the Spirit of God. Give her all the support that she needs. And I'll say this, that this church already has everything she needs to do what God has called her to do. But it's in your pockets. That's the problem. You've got to let it go. Support your church. Get behind your church. The need is great. We need to get on board. And then I would say, fifthly, to get down on your knees and pray. Pray for those who are being persecuted, people you don't even know, but their lives are being torn apart because of their faith, their commitment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for this nation. She's in crisis. God, have mercy on us. Pray for this upcoming election. This is very, very serious. Very, very serious. You get into that voting booth, and you vote, and you vote your biblical values, not your opinions. You vote your vi- biblical values, but get out there and vote, and, and, uh, and then pray for your church. Here's a scoop. If there's a church like this that is doing something for the kingdom and God is working, you just know that the enemy is not happy, all right? Because he's having a field day in some churches, and he wants in this one. And I want to tell you something about your pastor. The, the crosshairs are aimed at his head. The enemy wants to take you out, Pastor. He would love to take you out because if he can mess up your life and your family, then there's a ripple effect through the lives of the people that you influence. There's a spiritual warfare that is taking place, and I believe that if God would open our eyes right now into the spiritual realm, and we could see into the spiritual realm, it would scare us half to death. We would see the enemy encamped around this campus just desiring, waiting for the right move, waiting for somebody to mess up, waiting for entrance, waiting for disobedience to take place, waiting for the prayer cover to lift so that they can infiltrate. And I'll tell you what, as a pastor, I can tell when the prayer power in my church is weakening because I can feel the attacks that are taking place. Your pastor and your staff are experiencing things that... Some of you will never experience because of the warfare that is taking place, the spiritual warfare that is taking place in his head, in his life, in his heart, in his emotion. And he needs to be covered. He needs to be covered by people who pray. They pray for their pastor, not just for him, not just because they love him, but because he and his family, the effect that the enemy would have on his family would affect every one of you. If something traumatic happens. So pray for your pastor. You pray for your staff. Know that the enemy is not happy about what is, take, has, is taking place here right now. And I'll tell you, one of the most vulnerable times in the life of a church is when things are going well. We all just let our guard down because we're so happy. When trauma is taking place or we want to get something started, we're all praying. We're praying. And you guys did a, a, a prayer and fasting for the 21 days for this Event that is taking place, God bless you. God bless you. I felt safe getting up here tonight. No, seriously, when I heard that, I thought, hey, I'm going to have freedom. Because this thing has been prayed over. This is a praying church. Don't stop praying when things are going well. I was saying to my staff today, I, I said, you know, if, when you think about the prayer cover of a church, one of the most effective strategies I think the enemy could have against this church is to weaken the prayer cover, to, to um, distract the prayer cover, the prayer warriors. And I think if he can get us praying in the wrong direction, wouldn't that be as effective as us not praying at all? If we spend most of our time praying for our hurts and our desires and our wants, and we're not praying for the kingdom of God to show himself and reveal himself and for people to be saved and for there being a dynamic outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if we're praying for ourselves, wouldn't that be a weakening of the prayer cover? Jim Simula once said, we get so upset as a church because they've taken prayer out of the schools. He says, for goodness sake, we don't have prayer in our churches. Listen, there's a war going on. And you're in it, whether you like it or not. It's going on in our world. It's going on in our nation. It's going on in our city. It's going on in our homes. It's going on in our churches. We're rushing towards the end. The spirit of the Antichrist has been loosed in our world today. He is mounting his forces. Ephesians chapter 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a war going on. There's a war going on for this church. There's a war going on for your life. There's a war going on for America. It's later than you think. Listen to me. It's never going to be like it was. Those days are gone. It's no longer business as usual for the church. God, help us as a church to rise to the occasion. God, help us as a church to unleash the power of God on a world that's on fire. Let me give you a scripture. Finish with 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Here, 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 your marching orders. Okay, listen to me. Here, your marching orders. Write this down, write it down in your Bible. I want you to go back and read this in the morning. Okay, be on your guard, stand firm, hold the flag, stand firm in faith, be men and women of courage. Be strong, but you do everything in love. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.